to Southern Fried Pop Culture. I'm one of your hosts, Mandy Kay. And I'm Kelly Lee. Each week, we're going to talk about our experiences of Southern culture through the lens of stories that are set in the South, feature Southern characters, or are Southern flavored in some way. And we're going to do it while we drink Southern drinks. Or drinks that are Southern because we're in the South and I'm drinking them. So (laughs) my drink tonight is hot chocolate with Baileys in it because it's cold. Not particularly Southern, but I'll claim it anyway. What about you, Kelly? Very close. I am drinking coffee in Baileys. <laughs> I needed more sugar than that. Yeah, I needed more caffeine than that. <laughs> it's just been one of those days. Yeah. So, On this show, our structure comes from our amazing theme song written by our friend Jazzy Bentley. So we'll talk about the movie in three different sections. Southern culture in general, the bless your heart or problematic moments, and the things that we love that made us tickle pink. This week, we're talking about the 2002 movie Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, starring Sandra Bullock, Ellen Burstein, and Ashley Judd. So the movie description says, after years of mother-daughter tension, Siddalee receives a scrapbook detailing the wild adventures of the Yayas, her mother's girlhood friends. Once again, I find this to be an incredibly lacking movie description. It really (laughs) is. I mean, right? Yeah. (laughs) The movie is based on Rebecca Wells' novel, Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, and her short story collection, Little Altars Everywhere. Have you read those books or short stories? I've read the Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. I have not read Little Altars Everywhere. How about you? Honestly, I can't remember. I know I haven't read Little Altars Everywhere, but I think I probably did read Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. Yeah, I read it before I watched the movie, so it's been a long time. Okay. But in the true tradition of good Southern literature, I remember laughing and crying and being well and properly twisted up. Oh, <laughs> at the okay. End. So, which is also kind of how I felt at the end of this movie. <laughs> well, do you want to kick us off this week and tell us what things in the movie you found authentic to the Southern culture experience? Sure. So there were four expressions that they used in this movie that I have used or heard pretty much my whole life that I have no idea where they come from or like where I learned them. But hearing them in this movie, I felt validated because like I was like, okay, I say that, but I I didn't know where it comes from. Um, So one of those was many moons later, like to talk about something that happens like a long time ago or, you know, far off in the future. I say that to my son all the time. I have no idea where I learned that. But hearing it in the movie made me feel better because it has obviously comes from somewhere in the South. Yeah, um, my mama says that. And does she? Yeah, she's used it my whole life. I don't know that I use it, but when mm-hmm. I heard it in this movie, I immediately felt, oh, yeah, that's a, I, I'm familiar with that. I'm accustomed to that. And it was kind of nice to hear it. Yep, I say it. And then one of my favorites that I have to explain to friends who are not from the South is I drop my basket. And like that phrase is so real to me and (laughs) I say it all the time. Um, But I have no idea where I learned that either. And so my friends from the South know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that. And my friends who are not from the South have no idea what I'm talking about when I say that. Okay, well, can you explain it to me and to our listeners? (laughs) So my understanding is when you say I dropped my basket, it means you had 
a really proper mental breakdown. And in middle Georgia, this includes possibly a mental hospitalization as well. But it would be like a total and complete breakdown. Okay. So you can use it jokingly, like I dropped my basket, or it can be for real to describe the kind of situation that we see in this movie. I didn't notice it in the movie, so it must have just been said like maybe maybe once. Yeah, it said so. Vivi says it once to okay. explain when she's talking about what happened to her and, and where she ended up. She says it and I I typed it in all caps in my notes because I was like, Yes, I knew that phrase was a thing and I know okay. exactly what she's saying. <laughs> so. Okay, well that one's a new one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, the idea of a hissy fit. Oh, which yeah. Which just felt very much at home. Um, and, and which I'm very good at throwing. So that was, I felt validated <laughs> for that. And then uh, the nickname Baby Girl, um, which I hate with a passion because it's what my father calls me. And he always has, and I've always hated it. But I think that's a very common Southern nickname. So that struck as authentic for me. Okay. So, and then just the kind of the big idea of this idea of memoir or truth telling and like Southern mama drama where you keep your family dirt in your own kitchen, but mm-hmm. you don't tell these kind of stories the way that Siddeley told the reporter sort of the truth about her upbringing. So like telling the truth as a betrayal of your family, I have, I found that to be authentically Southern um, in a way that struck true for me. Um, and then some of the funnier things um, were they were talking about when her mother and, and her friends were were kids. They went to Atlanta to watch the premiere of Gone with the Wind. And um, I remember studying that a little, like the, that movie premiere and sort of the cultural impact that it had. Because I think Gone with the Wind was the first film, the first American film to have a cuss word in it. And people protested up and down the streets of Atlanta. And there was this really cool book that's like a picture history of the movie and like all the things that went into it in the premiere. And I remember getting bored one day at work and reading that book because someone had left it laying out. Um, So that just kind of struck me as like that would have been a premiere society event for someone in in the upper class of the South to have attended. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And then the the cousins and sisters all bathing together, like having four or five or six kids in a bathtub, mm-hmm. <laughs> also felt authentic. Um, and there's a line where they're so hot, you know, and it's so humid and everybody's covered in sweat. And they joke about having to make their own goddamn breeze and going out in the car and driving with their shirts unbuttoned. And um, I've done that. You know, in, the, in some nights when the air conditioning wasn't working. So that also felt authentic. And some of the funny quotes, like, about just crazy Southern family in general. Uh, Connor said, you know, meeting them explains a lot about you. And that just made me laugh because, like, there is a reason I do not introduce the people I date to my family. And, like, <laughs> so, like I thought that was really, really funny. Um, but then there were two things that I thought were authentic that were not funny. Um, and that was kind of the idea of a doctor medicating the emotions of very strong women or just the lack of awareness, education, and support for mental illness in the South, which I know the time period of this movie jumped around a lot, but I still think that that 
is a big problem in the South or that it's not something people talk about or address the way that they should. And it's something that I think a lot of people have difficulty finding the resources that they need. And this movie did do a good job sort of showing what happens when that support is not available, even though I think it was really painful to watch. I'm not sure I would say that's a uniquely Southern thing, though. I think that that was true, particularly in the time of Vivi's breakdown. That Mm -hmm. was something that I think would have happened anywhere in the country. You know, they would have just medicated her and said she was fine. I guess it's just the only lens I have to look at it was how I grew up. Yeah. And the place in the South and my family, like mental illness or was interpreted as um, like demonic possession um, because of the, the religion that was laid on top of it. Right. And it would have, so it has that kind of Southern religious or you just need to tough it out or, so it's the only lens I have to see it. So I'm sure it definitely is a bigger problem than just the South, but it just rang true for me. Right. Okay. So what about you? What was true for your experience of the South in this movie? Uh, Well, you covered a lot of it. Um, (laughs) the, the, The one thing that I will say is that really the version of the South that we get in this movie is really only known to me in stories because mm-hmm. it's very upper class, very, very different than the life that I led. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it's kind of unrelatable to me in many, many ways, although some of the vernacular was comfortable and familiar. Um, like you said, many moons ago, throwing a hissy fit, things like that. Um, when Siddeley finds the Noxima in the medicine cabinet, you know, Noxima has an air of nostalgia to me. Like when I saw her open that jar, I could smell the Noxima myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I think everything else was just unrelatable for me, um, just because it's it's not stuff I've experienced in my own life. Um, mm-hmm. And because I've never really been close to the upper class at all it's not something that I even would have seen tangentially Mm -hmm. and so it's hard for me to determine what might be authentic and what might be over the top yeah that makes sense absolutely and I have no idea what it would be like to be rich in the south (laughs) so maybe maybe a lot of that is just oh yeah that looks right I guess that's what that would be (laughs) no idea well it's like that that in all of the movies so it must be right right now we want to make you know lots of movies about what it is to be dirt poor in the south i can test the authenticity of that but absolutely not the other way around fruit loop sandwiches (laughs) (laughs) see you laugh because you know it's true Oh, I, yeah, I was going to say, I'll see your Fruit Loop sandwich and I'll raise you a pear salad. Oh, <laughs> oh is that the pears with the mayonnaise spread on them? Uh, yep, and, and cheese on top of that. Oh, oh, yeah, no, no, no. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> I never had to eat that. Okay, so. Ugh. All right, well, moving on. <laughs> there, there were some kind of problematic things in this movie, um, both... Mm-hmm as Southern culture and also just for humanity. (laughs) So 
Um, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? I think you should go first. Okay. There are two that, that really, really stuck out to me the most. Um, and it just made my skin crawl. One of them did anyway. Um, so at Vivi's birthday party, the very, very extravagant birthday party that her father threw her just to piss off her mother. Mm-hmm. was wonderful for Vivi. I mean, she got to experience this with her friends and everything, but then her dad gave her that ring and her mom flipped out about it and said it was inappropriate for a child. And her dad goes off with these really, really creepy vibes and saying things like, she's not a child. She is a beautiful young woman. And it's, the the intonation that he uses while he says it is just very creepy. Yeah. It's it, it's not appropriate, especially I mean to talk about any woman of that age, but particularly when she's your daughter. And then not too long after that, her mom comes in and physically takes the ring off of her finger and implies that Vivi must have done something to her dad in order to make her dad buy her that ring. And it's just awful. It's horrible. I I don't really have words to express the horror and disgust that I feel there and for the empathy that I have for Vivi in that moment because I just don't understand what it must be like to live in that family and to be used as a weapon. Because, that, I mean, that's essentially what's happening. Her father is using her as a weapon against her mother and her mother is retaliating. And it's just awful. It was awful. And her father making her mother pick the ring back up, Mm -hmm. you know, and her mother throwing it and just that horrible, twisted subtext between all of them was so awful. Yeah, I was waiting for him to pull off his belt and spank his wife, honestly, Mm -hmm. because those were the vibes that they were giving off. Yeah, And it just, it hurt my heart. And I have to say, I'm really glad that Vivi had her friends there. I mean, it sucks for her that, that her friends had to witness that, but at least they had that strong bond that they could comfort her and be there for her in that moment. Well, and at least in maybe them being there, you know, maybe it didn't escalate to the point that it would have if they had not been there. But yeah, that's it was true. difficult to watch. It was very difficult to watch. Um, the other one is a little bit lighter, <laughs> um, but I, I find it to be really suspicious that Sita and Connor have been together for seven years and he's never met her mom or dad. That is just weird to me. Like it just doesn't make sense. I mean, even looking at the family, the way that they are, it just doesn't make sense. Did, did you not have an issue with that? I can see how it would happen. I think if she had cut ties and left, plus she's in New York and they're in Louisiana, and I don't think she wanted Connor to meet them. Um, I don't think I would have wanted Connor to meet them in her shoes. (laughs) So, I mean, I've had very close friends longer than that who have never met my family, so I can totally see how that would be. Yeah. Okay. I didn't I didn't even make note of that. I didn't notice it the way you did at all. It was just it was strange to me because the, I mean, Sita and her mom, they have issues, but they're close enough 
that as soon as Sita read it, read the article and how it came across, she immediately knew how it was going to affect her mom. Mm-hmm. They're close enough that they still have that bond. And when the phone rang, she immediately knew that it was her mom. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're they're not cut out of each other's lives. You know, and like the Sita sent her mom the the tickets cut up that were being held for her parents. You know, that says to me that they always hold tickets to Sita's plays for her parents. You know, they're not estranged. Mm-hmm. And and so just for for them to have never even met Connor at all in seven years is just baffling to me. But maybe that's just because. I mean, like I said, this movie is kind of unrelatable to me and my relationship with my parents and my family is so significantly different that I can't imagine going that long and not having somebody special to me meet them. Yeah, maybe so. All right, Kelly. Well, why don't you let me have it? What was... (laughs) I think my list in these sections are always too long. Well, you know, I I keep mine short just because I know that you're going to need the space. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a great pattern for us. Maybe next time I'll have like, I'll put a limit. I'll be like, you're allowed to talk about three things that make you mad, Kelly. Three. <laughs> but I think the the first thing I wrote was when um, when the Yaya's come to visit Sita and they take her to the bar and they roofie her to get her home. <laughs> I'm like they're roofy like they, there is such a thing as consent people and I don't care if she's the daughter of your longest childhood friend you don't knock her unconscious and put her in a car like um, I, I think they put her in a plane yeah or anything like you just that's not a thing you do you just don't you don't take away someone's will and choice I don't think it's funny Um, but I, I think that they I think that they kind of wove the storyline of being hated by your own mother, which I think shows up a lot in Southern literature. Um, Mm. And I don't know if they did it. I mean, I definitely think from Vivi's mom, they got it on the the true ugly side. I think they were showing that maybe Sita thought that's what she had with her mother and she didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that that is a long standing theme of Southern lit. So I I just don't know how well I think that they played it off in this. I couldn't decide exactly what section I was going to put it in. Um, but it was difficult to watch. So I but I, I do think it's a problematic part of southern culture in a lot of ways um or at least in the way it's represented in a lot of southern lit. So I'll okay. put that in in there. Um It really broke my heart that Sita was afraid of having children because she thought she might have the same violence in her that her mother had had, Mm -hmm. you know, and that that fear was stopping her. And, you know, it was kind of stopping her from moving forward with Connor or stopping her from moving, you know, ahead with that. And I I thought that was heartbreakingly sad. But again, this is that cycle of physical abuse that I think also happens a lot in the South or corporal punishment that happens a lot in the South. Um, that may be more prominent there than it is in other places. So it just felt problematic to me. And then we have, again, this idea of hiding our real emotions or hiding our real affection. Uh, And you see this with, like, Vibby having separate bedrooms from her husband. And, like, she 
she finally has that one night where she goes to knock on his door, but it's locked. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it is locking a door often enough is that one day you're going to find yourself on the other side of that, you know? And I think that he was so completely forgiving and open and tolerant and like, I wanted that man to stand up to her or just demand to be better loved by her. He he sort of played this role of like, I know I'm playing second fiddle to the real love that you lost, but I'm okay with that role through the whole movie. And it bothered me. Yeah, that that scene where Seda asks her, her dad if he was loved enough yeah. broke my heart because he skirted it. He turned mm-hmm. it right back around on her. And asked her if she was loved enough. And mm-hmm. it, it really did kind of break my heart because Shep is a good man. Yeah. And he loved Vivi with all of his heart and he loved his kids. And he was put through the ringer. It just struck me as incredibly sad, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the scene where all of the children are sick and Vivi can't handle it, like that just hurts me to watch. But when she goes to confession, she, you know, her confession about, not wanting to just be a wife and mother like that that's not enough is so painful for her but the priest advice is so lacking that like I can totally sympathize with her in that moment Mm -hmm. even though what she does to those children is horrible she didn't have a whole lot of other choices given the roles that were available to women at the time and so I just felt really conflicted between wanting to take that whip out of her hand and slap her with it and also really understanding where some of her pain and imbalance was coming from. It was just really, really difficult to watch. Um, See, that's interesting because I, I mean, I agree with you that Vivi whipping her children out in the rain is awful and it's terrible, but I, I don't really hold Vivi accountable for that. Because she was suffering from a mental illness, mm-hmm. and she was not treated for that mental illness. She was drugged um, with a drug that doesn't treat mental illness, you know, that's just supposed to placate her and, and sedate her, and she was told to bottle it up, right. you know. And, and so I, I don't know specifically what mental illness she had. I don't know if it was just depression. Um, it presented a little bit like bipolar, but... You know, they don't specifically tell us. They just tell us that she had a breakdown and, you know, was committed involuntarily. And and so what I'm seeing in this movie is that all of the violence that we get from Vivi, you know, not being able to handle her children when they're sick, the, the whipping them, those are all symptoms of the mental illness. Mm-hmm. And she needed help. And she finally did get the help that she needed. And... I think the damage was kind of already done at that point because nobody in that family could be honest about what happened. Right. Which which is what caused the lifetime of, of heartache and misery for Sita. Right. But I, I look at it as the mental illness being the problem, not Vivi. Yeah, and, and to a certain extent, I agree with that. And, you know, to be six months of in, involuntary commitment and her children not to know where she was – and her to forbid everyone from telling them, you know, so then you have this lack of honesty and lack of ability to, you know, to tell the truth and to look at this for what it is and um, to not answer those questions, you know, for those children and not give them the why of what had happened. 
And so then, you know, these kids start writing their own narrative and filling in Mm -hmm. truth that's worse than if they had been told the truth, you know. And so there's just this this huge kind of tragedy to it, to me, that that was kind of harrowing, you know, and and made me sad for everyone. And um, but it also it makes me want to push back on the idea of a vivacious, strong, creative you know, woman with that automatically being synonymous with mental illness, because it seems so much of the time that that's how that's presented, you know, and I don't know if that's just in Southern literature, but it seems to be that like, given maybe that was just the time period that if you wanted more than motherhood, you know, or or being a wife or whatever, that it automatically made you imbalanced. Like, and, and there's this implication to that that has always bothered me. And I think that it's portrayed through some subtext of this movie, but we don't really take it apart. And it just feels like a missed opportunity in some ways, and it just feels kind of twisted and sad in others. It's a really difficult movie for me to process. I don't think that I've gotten great clarity on it. Um, I think it brings up a lot of important points, but mostly it makes me feel really sad. Absolutely. It's definitely heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. I think... I think I lean more heavily into the mental illness side than you do because of the way they portrayed her reactions. Um, particularly, I mean, the, the climax of the movie is is when she has her actual breakdown, when she's, you know, takes the kids out in the rain and she's got the belt in her hand. She is yelling gibberish at that point. She's saying something like, you're not clean or I have to whip the clean out of you or something I can't remember Mm -hmm. exactly what those words were but it was very clearly a delusion Mm -hmm. and so because they did that because they gave her that real piece of actual mental illness then I wasn't equating it with a strong woman must be mentally ill I was seeing this woman is actually mentally ill it's not just something they're saying about her because she's strong-willed And I guess I was wondering, like, we didn't see that behavior from her before she started the medication. So what's the chicken and what's the egg? Like, what of that Mm. was from her own mental illness? And what of that was brought on by medication that was not appropriate for what she needed? Yeah, I I think the implication there was that the medication caused the the major, major breakdown. Mm -hmm. But I think there was something there initially that made the doctor give her medication that was more than just she's a strong-willed woman I think right there was something well and I mean she did leave (laughs) you know she left her kids for a couple days yeah and went and hid out from the hotel and you know she had you know very big highs and very big lows and and a lot of those kind of of issues in there as well but yeah and I don't have the expertise to to diagnose it by any stretch of the imagination. I just sometimes wonder about the message for this. And it and it seems overwhelmingly so that when we see characters struggle with this, that they're women. I, I don't have an equivalent story, especially in Southern literature, where the person struggling with mental illness in this way is a man. That's a really good point. That might be the only smart thing I say on this whole episode. Oh, no. <laughs> Hush, hush your mouth, and bless your heart. <laughs> bless your heart. 
Well, that, <laughs> I think that might wrap up our pleasure art. But there were good things in this movie. It's a good movie. It is right? a good movie. It is. So absolutely. what what tickled you pink? What did you like? I absolutely loved uh, the Yaya's when they went to Atlanta to see the premiere of Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. When the family members that they were with started speaking very, very poorly and terribly to their chaperone, whose name I cannot remember, Waletta? Oh. Was that her name? Gosh, I don't remember either. They didn't say it very I, much. I remember hardly anyone. I don't even remember the Yaya's <laughs> names out of this. I've got Vivian, I've got Siddeley, and that's and Connor, and that's it. <laughs> and Teensy. Yeah. I didn't even have Teensy. Um, so I think her name's Waletta. But, um, I mean, he just, he goes off on her, and Vivi starts a food fight to make him shut up. And then instead of apologizing, she turns around and looks at her aunt and says, I'm sorry, your son's a baboon's ass. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I love that she stood up for the woman that she loved. You know, mm-hmm. she, she didn't care that Waletta was black. You know, she knew that what this child was saying and that this child's mother was just allowing him to say was awful and dehumanizing. And she wasn't going to stand for it. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Um, I loved, even though they roofied her to get there, I loved Vivi's friends taking control of the situation and helping Vivi and Siddeley see what they couldn't see before. Mm-hmm. Um, Teensy had a line where she, she says to Sita, that's why you're here, baby, to know what you didn't know. You know, to let her know that what she thinks happened isn't actually what happened. Mm-hmm. And to have that, I think, is a wonderful thing. I I feel certain that there are a lot of memories that I have from my childhood that are probably not as accurate as I think they are. And they're all terrible. And I wish that I had people like Teensy and the other Yaya's to bring some of that clarity to my life. Mm -hmm. Um, Maggie Smith. Oh, my God. Southern (laughs) McGonagall. (laughs) Southern McGonagall. Okay. Southern McGonagall should be a brand of whiskey that someone makes <laughs> just for us. That is fantastic. <laughs> I mean, that's all I could. Every time she opened her mouth, it was McGonagall with a slightly Southern accent. I mean, it, her accent work was not great in this. No, because, it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, but she's Maggie Smith. Right. You let it go. <laughs> that's right. But she did have one of my favorite lines in the whole movie. So at the end, once Sita has kind of, she's processing everything and, and she's figured out what happened, that her mom had that breakdown and where her mom was, that she didn't just leave. And then, you know, she she looks up and she says something like, well, now I'm just processing all of the thousands of dollars that I've spent in therapy trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And Southern McGonagall looks up and says, Shep, write her a check. <laughs> And I just started cracking up because it was the kind of levity that the conversation needed in that moment. Mm-hmm. And it was it was so good. Yeah, so good. That was really funny. It was right. really funny. Yeah. So what about you? What tickled you pink in this movie? I love the music of this movie. Um, in my notes, I wrote, soundtrack, please. Like, I just want to sway around a dance floor to all of this music. It was wonderful. Um, a couple of the jokes I feel kind of guilty about liking, but because it does have this over romanticized view of 
of drinking and drugs, but they were really funny to me. So one of them was that Sita has a rule about Xanax. And Connor was like, it's your rule. Opening night only, babe. And I thought that was so funny. And um, and then it, one, it, one of the yayas said to the other, ever since you quit drinking, you stopped thinking clearly. <laughs> I oh. like, and I can imagine people back home saying that. So I thought that was really funny. Okay. Um, and I like the opposing viewpoints of the yayas. So you have this perspective of them as like the close friends and this wonderful circle of support. And then you have Sita's view of them. She calls them mama's henchmen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I like that kind of you get both perspectives of that. I thought they did a good job. And um, there was a great quote in here. And I can't even remember who said it. I feel bad. I should have written this down. I just captured it from my notes. Um, about Sita being so upset and someone said, you have to let the child feel the way she feels. There's nothing else to do. And I really like that because as a parent or, you know, even as a friend, like if you want to comfort someone or you want to help or you want to fix things, like sometimes you just can't and you just have to let someone feel the way they feel and sit there with them in the dark. And I thought that that was a great description of of what you have to do when someone's in a dark place. Mm Mm-hmm. And I love Vivi's, like, customized, invented religion. (laughs) She has all those ceremonies and, you know, the things she says and the candles. And then at the end when she's trying to save Sita's marriage and she starts bargaining and she's like, I'll only drink once a day or once a week or I'll I'll do the best I can. (laughs) Just that cracked me up. Yeah. I thought that was really funny. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did like how... She made sure, Vivi made sure that Sita got to ride in the airplane after she had her moment of panic, like when she froze and, and changed her mind. And then, then later she was like regretting that and Vivi made that happen. I thought that that was really good. But then at the end, I was like, well, damn it. Now I want a jazz parade with sparklers for my birthday because I've never <laughs> seen a birthday celebration like that. And I don't think anything else will do now. Okay. Because that was so awesome. <laughs> Am I so. the only person in the world who doesn't like sparklers? I love sparklers. I love sparklers. They're so pretty. They are and pretty, and I like the idea of sparklers, but every time I've ever held sparklers, the sparks burn my hands, and I can't, I don't want to hold them. I don't oh, like it. I love them. Nope. Nope. I just, I want to open the door and have people coming down the street singing and playing jazz music and waving sparklers, and that, like, that should happen now. On my- okay. Okay. <laughs> birthday i thought it was so cool (laughs) i will make a note thank you (laughs) (laughs) so did you have any other thoughts about this movie that don't fit into our big buckets um well there are actually two things that tickled me pink that i forgot oh good out of my list um one was connor on the phone with vivi Mm -hmm. when vivi hung up on him and he just like starts yelling at the phone like at her (laughs) even though she's not there it, just, it cracked me up. Cracked me up. Yeah. And then Teensy. When Teensy is trying to stop Vivi from going to the cabin. And she's mm-hmm. racing her down the highway. And then she, like, goes faster than Vivi and, like, blocks the road. Yeah. <laughs> you are so lucky. If you put one scratch on my baby, I would have your ass. Teensy. I demand that you move this piece of shit out of my way this very instant. Who do you think you're talking to? I know she's there. 
Now, what is going on? Huh? Is betrayal absolutely everywhere? Yes. Your lifelong friends are programming your daughter to destroy you. Well, somebody better tell me what's going on. Vivi, calm down. You're just gonna have to trust us. If you go there now, you're gonna ruin everybody's life. What is it with me ruining everybody's life? Everybody, Teensy? Strangers are saying it now. What strangers? Connor, he yelled at me. She's walked out on their entire life, whatever that means. Go. Go home, now. Don't you talk to me like that. I'll knock you into the middle of next week. And I will kick your sorry ass on Thursday. Now get in the goddamn car and go home. That was good. And and she was like, you are so lucky you didn't scratch my baby. Like, Teensy was just wonderful. Yeah, I don't, she was. I, I don't really know anything else about her except that she loved Vivi and she wanted to help her. But she was funny. And that yeah, made me laugh. Yeah, she was funny. There was a lot of good humor in this movie. There were definitely parts that made me laugh. Yeah. Um, and th- this movie kind of harkens back to Steel Magnolias a little bit. It, it's got that theme of mothers and daughters. Mm-hmm. And it's a theme that I really appreciate. And it cracked me up because Sita was so like her mother in this movie, but she couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of the conflict came from, because when you're alike, you do tend to butt heads a little bit. Um, but they loved each other. You know, even when they hated each other, they loved each other. And and I just I loved seeing that thread woven through their lives and seeing it you know, come to fruition at the end when, you know, Sita gets, what's the word I'm looking for? Inaugurated? Inducted. That's the word. (laughs) When Sita gets inducted into the Yaya's herself. Mm -hmm. um, It's just, it's wonderful. And, and I really like just the, the mothers and daughters theme that, that we get a lot in Southern culture and Southern literature. Mm -hmm. What about you? So I had made this note, I thought, and I've seen this in a lot of movies that are not just Southern movies, but I wonder, do most people dance with their mothers, like at home in some way? Because you see this in so many movies, you saw it in this movie, and I never did as a kid, like my mother would never do that, but I do make my son dance with me, like all the (laughs) time, like I just, or I'll twirl him around at random, or I even occasionally will make him dance with me at the grocery store just because I love tormenting him. But I just wondered, is that like a thing that exists outside of movies? And maybe I only do that because I've seen it in movies, but I I was just curious. It just struck me when I was watching this one. They're like, do people dance with their moms or is it just a movie trope that I happen to like? I think we might need to open that up to our listeners because I never danced with my mom, but my mom was not that kind of person. Mm -hmm. Now, my stepdad's mom did love to dance and she would dance with me and she would dance with my friends and and, like we would have little dance parties in our living room, but Mm -hmm. never my mom. And so I, I, I don't know if that's a thing that some people do. Well, I would love to hear from our listeners about that because I'm just really curious. Okay. So, well, very cool. Let us know. Yeah. So, and then my last note is if you like this movie, I know that our podcasting friends, Alan and Anya, are going to talk about the book on their show, Hallowed Ground Storycast, in the next few months. And I'm going to be on that show soon to talk about Aladdin. So I wanted to give them a shout out. Yeah, I will be on that show in the next couple of months, too, to talk about the book, Julie and Julia. Oh, very cool. 
Not the movie, the book. Not the movie. Okay. <laughs> and I have to pick your brain about that because I've seen the movie, but I haven't read the book. Oh, honey. Oh, honey. That hurts. Yes. <laughs> oh, honey. I love how you say that, Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that just hurt my heart a little bit. That's all. Go read the book. Okay. And it, pretend the movie doesn't exist, except the Meryl Street parts are okay. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I can do that. <laughs> so what are we going to watch next, Mandy? Uh, next week, we are going to be talking about The Legend of Bagger Vance. Oh, that's such a wonderful movie. I have seen that so many times with my son when he was growing up, but I haven't watched it in years. So I am looking forward to watching it again for Southern Fried Pop Culture. I have only seen it once, and it was many, many, many moons ago. So <laughs> <laughs> Many moons, many yes. moons ago. all right well we want to hear from you if you want to join the conversation on twitter use the hashtag sfpop tell us about your experiences growing up in the south or how you felt watching the divine secrets of the yaya sisterhood you can find me on twitter at mandy k or you can email us at podcast at eloquentgushing.com and you can find me on twitter at dr kelly jones or at southernfriedscholar.com or on the big strong yes podcast with lonnie dine rich And Southern Fried Pop Culture is funded by supporters like you through our Patreon page. For exclusive content and more, please visit us at patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. Thanks to Jazzy Bentley for our amazing show music. And thanks, y'all. For more information, please visit eloquentgushing.com or visit us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.